If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers, and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today's guest is John McLean. I'm sure people would have already heard a bit about John McLean. He's been a guest a few times, and he talks about safe, horse-friendly ways to interact with young horses. He started off with episode 042, which was his introduction, went on to 144, which was the 10 tips for initial foal handling. Then on 172, we took the steps towards further foal handling. And then, of course, we had 211, where he had a listener's choice, which is the most listened to episodes. And we select our listener's choice by ways that people interact or numbers of downloads. Anyway, how are you today, Jonna? I'm very well, very well. How are you, Glenn? Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Jonna, today we're talking about the 10 tips on the weaning transition. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. Yes. It, is, it is a transition. It's probably the most important transition in a horse's life because mm-hmm. it's a lot of change is about to occur. Yes, yes, and it's certainly different, you know, thinking back to what they used to do is basically just separate the horses and it was quite traumatising on a horse, but you've got a more safer, horse-friendly way to do this transition and that's what we're going to talk about today. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. That's exactly yes. that. Yes. All right. Now, the first one is establishing leading aids clearly, consistently, and keeping the mare in sight. Now, this is, of course, the horse has already gone through the initial foal handling and the further foal handling. So if they've already done that, then this whole weaning transition is going to be a lot easier on the horse. So can you talk to us a bit more about the, uh, you know, the first step, which is establish the leading aids clearly and consistently with the mare in sight? The leading and um, handling of the weanling, or I should say foal at this stage because mm-hmm. it isn't weaned, but it's about to become a weanling, is probably one of the most critical aspects because if we can make the, the signals and the, or the cues to the to the foal, but also to the mare so that she's able to cope with the circumstances because the trauma is not just about um, we want to try and make sure that the foal isn't upset in any way, but we also want to make sure that the mare isn't upset either, is trying to ensure that we're able to get those signals done and established in, in an environment such as a stable or, or, or whatever facilities we have. So the area is quite familiar, but the cues are also a little bit familiar because we're just adding on to what we've already done. So we're trying to get to the point now where we're almost um, leading the foal normally with the foal, with the mare not far away, but we're slowly but surely pushing the boundaries of distance and then ultimately sight. 
so that we can be sure that the pressure upon the signal is still reliable, even though the mayor may have called out, but the foal will still listen to you and um, not be distracted by its mother and then all of a sudden panic and trying to run back to the mayor. Mm -hmm. And that's really the issue. The issue really is the controllability of both. And if we have the control um, of both the mayor and the foal, then we can keep the people safe, number one, and the welfare of the horse is then um, certainly looked after because its focus is upon us and the stress is less because we're actually able to... I'm going to use a word now that some people may be familiar with, is that we're able to overshadow the the trauma or the, or the, or the pressure of weaning just at a distance by leading simply by making the cues very clear, very consistent, but ultimately very reliable. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think this this sort of development of trust, it's not just the foal, is it? Because it's the mayor. The mayor's got to be able to trust us. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. And often sometimes the mayor can be the undoing and and anybody that's um, at all experienced in this will find that the foals are often easier to handle than the mayor. So Mm -hmm. having a very um, experienced person that is very good at communication, in other words, saying, you know, the mayor is getting really upset. Um, I need help, or or can you um, reduce the pressure on on the distance and make the foal come a little bit back to me because I'm having trouble with the mayor. Yep. And that's often the case. So we have to have really clear communication systems. Have to have control over environment. But really, the thing that is going to override the entire process and make it really quite um, easy and less traumatised for all parties, including mm-hmm. people, is, yep. the, is the degree of training. That's right, because if you're going in there working with someone else's mare and foal and the owner's there, mm-hmm. it can be quite traumatising for the owner. They can get quite emotionally involved in the whole thing. So explaining to the owner and having that communication with the owner would have to be important as well. Glennis, I think that that point that you've just raised is probably one of the key issues. And as you probably know, I'm involved in large animal rescue and a few other different projects. And often the owner, and we are all owners, so we all have to put our hands up for this. Sometimes we are the we we um, we are the undoing. In other words, just the presence of the owner may all of a sudden cause the, the mayor um, to worry a little bit more because why is this person handling me and not the, uh, not the owner? Because mm-hmm. they associate the owner with all the pleasant things, none of the unpleasant things, generally speaking. Yep. So we also have to try to make sure that the uh, the owner, if they are inclined to be a little bit traumatised, can I say, use an equine term and say, overshadow their fears by giving them a task <laughs> as well and keeping them involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's a good one, yeah. Yeah, all right, all right. Now, the next one, you, you've got a benchmark here and you've got training the in-hand aids until you can go reverse one step and then without resistance come forward one step. So that, as a riding horse, is marked in a dressage test. The key there is without resistance, isn't it? You know, reverse and then go forward. That's right. And we see that in every rain back mechanism that we see in um, in dressage tests. And I, I would like to see this. I think we need to see this um, in all tests. Is mm-hmm. it why is it we only actually actually ask to, um, ask our horses under saddle to start reversing when we start to edge away towards, you know, from novice and above? There mm-hmm. are no rain back mechanisms in prelim. And yet I would have thought rain back is actually a reflection of how well your brake works. So 
you know, we could talk about this forever in a day, but we won't. So shifting That's tack, okay, John, because you could always come back and talk about that once <laughs> we've gone through all the young horse stuff. I, I would yeah, love to yeah. come to this, yes, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so my point is that once we can get the foal to do a step back and then reward the foal for that step back, and it may have only stepped back with one foot with a near four or the, or the off four, in which case what we're looking for in the step-back mechanism, and I haven't talked about the detail of this, is that we need diagonal pairs of single cue. So in other words, not a long dragging pressure, but just a, just a uh, over and above contact level of pressure that is a, a, a question or a cue to the horse or the foal or the weanling in, in this case to reverse back with the diagonal pair. And then after it's done that with the diagonal pair, then can you release the pressure, in other words, you've rewarded that step back, and then quietly ask the horse to come forward. And we will all see that when we do this, there will be delay in the response to come forward. And as I've said before, the opportunity lies in the degree of resistance, and that is the opportunity to say, yes, well, this little bit of pressure isn't going to go away. I'm going to keep nagging you until you come forward, and then when you do, I'm going to release the pressure. And then as soon as the weaning comes forward, it will then be rewarded with the release of pressure. However, what has happened is we've had a, a quite an extended period of resistance because now we've asked two questions close together. We've asked the horse one question to go backwards, we're rewarded by releasing the pressure, and then we've actually asked the question to come forward again. And then when we, the horse or the weanling does come forward, we release the pressure, but our aim is to reduce the period of resistance through practice and repetition. That then... Once we can have the horse or the weanling able to go backwards and almost mid-step while the leg is in the air, apply the uh, lead rope pressure to come forward and then the horse is able to illustrate that it can almost change the, change the mind of its leg by going airborne and going backwards and then coming forward again, you know you have a really powerful cue because then the horse can do an uh, a single reverse step and then the opposite question to be asked and come forward. And that is one of the most incredible benchmarks that you'll get throughout the horse's career, including breaking in. Yes, yes. I was going to say you have it as a benchmark. So does that mean as a benchmark then that you don't step on to number three? You make sure that that has happened before you go any further and just go, look, we just can't wean this horse until we've got this control. Yes. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So what all the horses will do, when I say all the horses, probably 90% of them, so I've covered most of the population, is that you'll mm -hmm. ask the horse to go backwards and the first thing it'll do is stand, plant its feet and raise its head and say, no, I'm not coming forward or I'll actually run backwards. So we have to be mindful of those things and that's why I always take care about preparing my environment, making sure that my communication with everybody is set and also making sure that my forward cue is really prompt because as you can understand, Glenn, as being a horse person, is if you ask a horse to go backwards, then the pressure or the cue point for the reverse step is actually off the noseband of the halter. Now we're actually asking for the pole strap to be the cue for forward. So we're asking nose pressure, release, good girl, good boy, and then pole pressure to come forward. And that's when the horses raise their head. Mm -hmm. And then we have to make sure that in our normal leading, when we ask the horse to go from halt, to go that there is no raising and that the very first thing that occurs as a result of the pressure is the legs move forward, there's no resistance. And that really is a benchmark to the point that we've just made. I wouldn't ask the horse to go back a step and then forward a step until it can actually go from halt to forward with no resistance. Okay.
Okay. All right. Now, number three, you've got continue habituation to touch because we've done that in the previous. You know, we've done it from the initial bowl handling through. So just talk a little bit more about the grooming, the feet, and the scratching of foals' favourite places. Yes. We did talk about that, didn't we? We talked about um, Mm. finding the foals' favourite places to be Mm -hmm. scratched. And and look, all owners know where those sites are, and that's a really good message to to ask um, a person if you're a professional, semi-professional, and have been asked to wean the horse and know where does this horse like being scratched the most. Um, We just have to be a little bit careful that we don't allow the horse to begin to groom us because then um, (laughs) it's not always that good uh, (laughs) for obvious reasons. So that's about us grooming the horse and rewarding the horse um, and and, and really just trying to calm the horse down and reduce its anxiety levels and its heart rate, et cetera, so that it's not worried about what we're about to do or we can really reinforce and say, oh, fantastic, good girl, good boy, that was marvellous, and just spend, you know, you only have to spend 20 seconds giving them a bit of a scratch and then say, okay, you've had a little bit of a break, can we do three more of those and then we can move to another topic? Mm. So that that is an important point. However, I think that being able to get our horse then used to or getting our weanling to be uh, used to other things and we've talked about touching all over and picking up feet and things like that. The thing that I wanted to add in this one was now making sure that our farrier and our, you know, somebody professional like a, a farrier is able to pick up the foal's feet. So we're talking about being able to pick out a pick up our foal's feet and experiment as to how well we can keep the horse in park. So I'll just quickly cover that. Sure. If we can get our get our foal to go back a step or let's say forward a step and then stop, consolidate that, and then we can go back a step and then we can go forward again, out of that equation we get park as a result of a permanent immobility. Now, if the horse, if the wedding is not capable of immobility, then it will be because it's either going forwards or backwards. All you have to do is look at its legs and it will tell you whether it's actually a backward step or a forward step, in which case we need to practice the opposite. So now we have the horse in park, so we should be able to then get a second person to come in while we're groundworking our foal to be able to touch it all over. So now we have two people present. We haven't talked about that, but most people just go in with two people. When two people is quite a traumatic experience for some horses, especially if something has occurred in some past history of a horse that has involved two people, it will remember that. Because one of those people is going to be a stranger, isn't it? You know, if you bring a farrier in, they're going to be a stranger who hasn't handled that particular horse before. The horse doesn't know them. Yeah. That's right. And you might be wearing a big hat and chap, so he yes. looks completely different and he smells yes. completely different and he moves completely different. This is a mm-hmm. really scary world. So you, mm-hmm. you, it might undo a lot of things. It doesn't matter. It means that we need to revise what we've done. Yep. So then I've got my farrier and, and uh, let's say, for example, he's just picking up the feet and so he's just rubbing the horse. And as I said, complete habituation to touching the legs without picking them up is the very, very first important stepping stones. I've covered that before. Um, and now we're going to pick the feet up. So what I tend to do with all the foals, and I've done this in many, many demonstrations, is that if you ask a foal to pick their feet up, but then you're quite fast at only holding their hoof. It's nowhere near as traumatic as really trying to grab hold of their fetlock. And I would like to see more farriers. I'm, I'm, I'm endowed with a marvellous farrier who I've had for 20 years. Um, and he's very, very good at that. He's, he's a marvel at that. In fact, he taught me how to do that. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that and then the foal lifts its foot up and we only grab its hoof, then it's far less traumatic than trying to swing on its fetlock and hold its feet still. 
then we can continue touching an habituation while his leg is in the air and it may only last for 10 seconds and then we put the foot down and then we can have a bit of a scratch on the wither and then we might repeat the same leg again. And then around we, around we go. So we might start with a near fore, near hind, and then we'll go off or off hind or whatever. Order. It doesn't really matter, but people generally feel safer on the near side of a horse because of through practices. So that's what I mean by habituation. And then we can start to do things like we can do interesting things like saying, okay, now I'm going to rub you with a little towel. And, um, and then we can drape a towel on you and then I can roll a towel and then I can drop it off your side. So the file becomes quite accustomed to just standing there and having these things done to it. And if you do it in the right way, it's quite a really pleasurable thing for the horse to be touched all over, whether it be a towel or whether it be a hand or whether it just be grooming with with something that can be quite pleasurable. They're very important facets because rugging is coming down the track quite quickly. Uh, so is the farrier and so is the vet and um, so is inoculation um, procedures as well. Okay, okay, well, that's good, and and I think you can, you know, this is where you can have a bit of fun with the horse too. You know, you drape a towel over and yeah, um, all sorts yeah. of things, can't you? You know, if you're doing it all the same way and teaching the horse, you can accustom them to lots of different things. Yeah, yeah. There's some unpleasant things that we're going to have to do to the horse as well, and we need to cover that, and they involve injections and drenching, mm-hmm. and we can't get away from that at this point. We don't have the technology yet. Um, to be able to do it any other way. So the way that we habituate um, the file to injections is I get them used to just a simple finger twitch, which is just a, a piece of skin being slightly pressed together with my fingernails. I don't twist it at the start. I just press my fingers together and squeeze the skin, and the horse is not allowed to move its legs, so it's completely in park in self-carriage, which means it's standing by itself. It's not requiring any pressure. Anything that requires any pressure to maintain has not been trained sufficiently. Mm-hmm. So let's presume that the whole file has been sufficiently trained, the wheeling has been sufficiently trained, then we can do that. At Mendy, when I can get the foal, I can go squeeze its skin and say, oh, good girl, and then give her a little bit of a scratch. And then I could give her a little, you know, something to eat even. Yes. Um, and then I could go skin, twitch, scratch, and then something to eat. And I can really overshadow the the, the adversity of the of the skin pinch mm-hmm. um, simply by doing that. What I'm doing with the skin pinch ultimately is I'm going to slide a needle very close into where my skin pinch is and that's really what the skin pinch does. It overshadows the pain of the needle insertion into the into the muscle of the neck or, or, or wherever you're putting it mostly as occurs in the neck. Mm-hmm. So that's what the skin twitch is all about. It's overshadowing the needle insertion and that's why if I can't overshadow the skin twitch, well, it's not overshadowing. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Now, the next one we've got is number four. And for people who've already been following Jonna and listening to his previous tips about the younger horses, they would think, well, that's logical. But for those people who haven't, who may be listening for the first time, you've got for number four, practice leading the foal further away from the mare for short periods out of a vision, which is, to me, a logical step. But if you could explain it a bit more, that'd be great. Okay, so the key component here is actually, um, I'll just go over the self-carriage state. I probably haven't talked enough about this. It's mm-hmm. probably been yes. a little bit simple, so I haven't talked enough. But the self-carriage state, by definition, is basically that the horse actually does it by itself. Mm-hmm. That's the self-carriage state. So the self-carriage state is when you train the horse to park and it requires no force or no pressure to be able to maintain it, whether it be you know, trot or canter or, or in this case, park off yep. your 
uh, for winning. So we've got the mayor doing that, and that's really important. I really, really want the mayor to do this because if I can't do this, the moment the fold is that around behind the shed, she's going to start rattling her feet on the stable floor, and then she'll call out, and then the fold will go, I can hear mummy's feet, and I can hear her call out, I better get back to her, and I better panic, and I don't know how to do this, but I'll just try some sort of random manoeuvre and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And if it's profitable, then it will try that random manoeuvre again. Yep. So we don't want to do that. So what we'd like to be able to do is then maybe what I start doing is then starting to get the foal of the weanling to learn to lead while mum's bottom is facing the foal. So mum can't actually see the foal clearly in terms of distance. She knows the foal is in, in a proximal distance but, um, uh, and, and is there, um, but she's not really quite you know, I'm quite sure how far away the foal is because uh, it's in her rear vision. Get her used to doing that. Yes, she can park there. Good. Now face her towards where the foal is, and the foal may be walking up the aisle or walking up and down the breezeway or whatever, and she stands there, and we can give her a bit of a scratch and a bit of a feed as well and distract her and say, right, I'm just going to go out the stable doors, 10 metres, and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to come back. Notice that I've already told my handler exactly what I'm doing. She already mm-hmm. knows yes. what my route is, uh, what my intended directions are, and when I'll be back. So if anything goes wrong, we don't have to talk about that. She, well, I don't want to hear my handler yelling at, where on earth are you? That yep. would be yep. probably a bad call out. So, and then I'm wondering whether I can then get my foal, my weanling, to be able to then uh, walk outside, maybe stop for a bit, have a bit of a scratch. Yep, no, all good. Yep, parks good. I can do back a step. I can do forward a step, and then walk back in. Oh, hi, mummy. How are you? And then walk out the other end of the barn and do the same. So we're slowly already increasing the distance between the foal and the mare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, this won't be difficult if you've got your foal trained to this point because it will be so easy because the foal is under stimulus control of the handler and so is the mare, and there won't be any change. It'll actually be when the period of time is longer, for example, more than a minute, or there is no there is no uh, calling out being done. That's usually probably the best measure, and the mare's not moving her legs about sporadically. That's also probably a good benchmark to tell you how far you should go. Yep. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. I really like these steps, Jonathan. You know, we, we introduce them as safe horse-friendly ways and, you know, it's just a little bit and a little bit more and very aware of how the mare is, very aware of how mm. the foal is and just taking those tiny little steps. But they've got a logical sequence to them, which is good, yeah. 
Well, that's right. And I was only saying to somebody yesterday, I was in Canberra on the weekend, and, and I was saying to somebody, and I thought, I must remember that I've said that because you know, we <laughs> say a lot of things, but some things are really important. And the thing that um, you've just covered there was just making sure that we only change one thing at a time. In other words, it seems logical. And it's logical when there's only one change at a time. It is illogical when you start changing two facets of anything. Yep. That's science. That's actually random state. <laughs> If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Okay. Number five, we've got progress the folds leading to obstacles, so different surfaces, different textures, different sounds. Yeah. Where am I going with this? So I'm actually going into the horse load with this, so okay. I'm going on the horse I should have thought so, but to... yes. Yeah, exactly. So, and I've covered all the things that I've noticed, and all the things that I've um, talked about in terms of leading the fall over objects. Say, oh, you know, you have to get your horse to lead it onto um, a mat or, or rubber. Um, I would like the whole, I would like the wending to be able to feel what it's like when you walk onto something with a slightly hollow sound or something with a different sound. So, you know, often we have grates. Um, I start off with my wendings by laying a towel on the ground, a slightly wet towel. So, I, 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 and the reason I wet it is so that it has some weight and it will stick to the floor. And so, if the foal does do a little bit of a wheelie on it, it doesn't, you know, fly mm. through the air. It stays heavy. So, I just get a towel, lay it down the ground, give it a bit of a spray with a the hose. Then I might even spray um, the floor as well. So, it's only a different colour, but it is wet and now it's shiny. And the light might reflect off it. And then I'll lead my. Um, wending onto rubber and then I'll go from shavings to rubber and then I'll go from shavings to rubber to gravel then I might go shavings, gravel, rubber, towel and then I might go shavings, gravel, rubber, bridge. And when I say bridge, I'm talking about a little little bridge that you may have made, very safe, very heavy, very reliable, but um, getting your horse to walk onto something a little bit foreign sounding and foreign feeling is really the precursor to finding out whether your groundwork is sufficient to load your horse onto the onto the float of the truck, and it has just never failed. And it takes you know one or two sessions, and you think, "Yep, yeah, he's good with that," mm. or she is. I was just thinking about the wet floor, and what a great introduction to an adventure and uh, water jumps. You know, just the wet floor, and yeah. Exactly, different textures, exactly, and we can talk about that. And we have a, a lot of um, texture-specific horses um, that I've seen that aren't so worried about the colour of the jump, but um, all of a sudden, because now the footing has changed, the horse starts to back off. And then other horses see the perception of a shape or a colour even uh, or a shade and, and see that as slightly aversive. It's really hard to know how each individual horse reacts, and that's probably you know, a bit of a testament to your horsemanship skills is knowing what to do when for all those different variations of of um, behavioural differences that you see in horse. Yep, yep. All right. Um, and sorry, I, I sort of took you off your foals then and, and started to talk about riding and jumping horses. We better go back to the foals and the weanlings. So number six is you're talking about the quality of responses and what happens when they deteriorate and how often you repeat them and what happens there. So can you talk about that? I thought I should cover this because I'm not sure that I have, but Glennis, your memory is probably better than mine, so I thought that I'd just cover this again, is that we have to make sure that we don't repeat things so many times the horse isn't able to do it. Mm-hmm. So if I repeated it four, five, six, seven times in a row and the horse got it right, then I move on to a different topic. 
Now, when I say four, five, six, or seven, that's quite a big variation in numbers. Well, as you get better, you want to be able to do seven in a row without any difference, straight off, first go, without any errors. And I'm, when I say errors, I'm talking about resistance here. So we may start off by getting four in a row and then three wrong. That, that's, that's good. They're, they're not bad numbers. It's actually when we start getting five wrong and none right, that's a problem. Okay. Uh, and if we get five wrong and one right, then as soon as I've got the one right, then I let the horse have a break. I just let the horse have a break for 30 seconds, scratch, take a deep breath. Think about, Jonna, what could you have done better to reduce the amount of times that the horse got wrong as the first thought that goes through my head? Like, how well can I set it up better? And the, and the second question is, then what else can I do in my button development to be able to enable the horse to be able to better understand the question? And if I'm still quite comfortable with my approach with those things, then I say, okay, now maybe we might do two more in a row and that horse will probably get those pretty much right and then we might move on to different topics. So I'll give the horse's um, neural pathways a little bit of a break from that reactant. I don't want to overdo it. It's a bit like doing physical push-ups, you know. Your best push-ups are probably, well, maybe five. And then yeah. after that, they deteriorate. Sure. So sure. we're practicing those neural pathways so they give us the correct responses, which is all we're doing with the horse's training. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. really all about that. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right, now the next thing you've got, because we didn't actually get onto the float before or, or horse trailer or box or, yeah. you know, truck, no. whatever we call it, but you've got next the number seven, practice walking up inclines and declines and being able to halt and go wherever. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly what this is doing. I'm saying now I'm going to not only just say everything's flat, uh, actually the world isn't flat, and now I need to be able to lead you up a little hill, down a little hill. Can I stop and go everywhere? And and this will only take one session to discover whether you can or you can't. And having this included in the training facility area is a great thing. The footing needs to be firm and needs to be consistent, um, obviously, and, uh, and and more familiar we can make the uh, weanling with this, the better it will go. And that is for that reason. So many horses, so many trucks, so many horse boats have a really big step onto the first step. So where I'm going or what I'd like to um, just introduce here is that can you step up a little step or can you step up a little incline maybe in the beginning just so that when the foal takes its very first step onto the horse float, it doesn't bang its coronet band on the edge of the float and therefore negate any opportunity that you've got for trying to motivate him or her to be able to then say, well, have another go. And the horse will say, well, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> Bang me on the coronet, Ben, I'm not doing that. Mm. So setting it up so well that the horse either understands the question or changes the question so the horse is less likely to get it right. And that's where I'm going with that. Okay. Okay. That's good. And you're also saying about being able to halt and go whenever, wherever. Does that mean like going up an incline, halting, Going a bit yep. further up the incline or going the decline, halting. Yeah, okay. Yep. The ultimate for me, and I'm digressing a little and I won't take long with this, but the ultimate for me on a breaker is being able to ride it down a hill, halt on a 45-degree angle, get it to do one rain back up a 45-degree angle. If yep. I can do that. And the other one is being able to walk into the ocean, which I've done with quite a few horses, and being able to halt. Um, in the ocean um, and have the wave, get the horse to go through the wave and then being able to do a rain back into the wave backwards, that is the ultimate. Once okay. you can do that, yes. you can do anything with a horse. Yeah, yep. it's amazing. Yep. And you're really and, and this is the same lot. principle. Yeah, I was going to say going back to the, you know, one or two steps back in the dressage test, it's really placing 
the control you've got to have to do a rein back correctly. Absolutely. When you start riding this horse and you are the person that's trained it and using the approach that I'm talking about, um, doing, let's say, three to five rein back steps will probably be one of the easiest manoeuvres in your test. It'll be simple because I was really nervous. <laughs> okay. That brings us on to number eight where you've got the practice, the transition to stop and go onto the float ramp and beyond. Yep. Yeah. And that's where we're talking about. We're not talking about just putting a horse on a float. I yep. need to know that I, the horse is under my control every single step of the way and every step I do very, very carefully, so carefully that if it is a little delayed or if it is a little slack, then I say, mm, I'm not quite good enough. Can, can, excuse me, would you mind if we just do that again and get that a little bit sharper? Mm-hmm. And I don't go beyond that step. If I, as soon as I discover resistance in any single footfall, with either leg in in any situation, loading onto a horse float, I go back and say, mm, I need that leg to move quicker off the queue. Yep. Because if you don't see this, then all of a sudden you're building up resistance and then all of a sudden the horse will then say, mm, this is probably a battle that I can win. Whereas a truly, a truly trained queue should be at the precise moment in the delivery of the queue. I'll, I'll start that again. The delivery of the cue or the indication of the cue should be at the same time as the leg or legs have moved. If yes. it is delayed, then it is resistant. So we just get really good at being able to do it. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Nobody ever said, you know, it's a race against time. It shouldn't be a race against time. It's actually about welfare and safety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the only race. Mm. Okay. Okay. I'm just thinking, Johnny, you're just a bit of an overachiever here. You've given me 11 points instead of 10. So we, we <laughs> I'm going to change this. This practice walking up and down inclines and then the practicing transitions could probably be an A or a B. And then, then we can go into number eight. Once transitions are light and responsive, parking, which is stopping for longer periods, should be possible. And talking about parking, the reflection of calmness through clear training. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that said it all, and you're absolutely right, it should have been an A or B, but I thought if I lived you too many points, you wouldn't have any trouble consolidating because that's your job. Sure, sure. (laughs) So talking about parking and the reflection of the calmness through the clear training is next. It is, and and this is it, and that's why I wanted to come back. I've gone around in a circle, you notice. Mm. I said, okay, now... Are you able to stand here? How long can you stand here for? Oh, you can only stand here for five minutes, uh, for five seconds. Okay, we, we need to get better at this. So the horse obviously has a degree of anxiety if we park it there too long. Then we're still not there because, remember, we're actually trying to get our weanling, which will be a weanling soon when mum is gone, to be able to stand in the horse float in the horse truck for a longer period than that. So we need to practice those periods of immobility. And that's why the grooming and the touching and, and all the tactile things are actually really important connections to your horse. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're just going longer and longer periods away longer from the Longer and longer and longer. Yeah, yeah, to, to create it. And the same thing, we go back to the safe horse-friendly ways. So it, it's safe yep. because the mare's safe, the person holding the mare's safe, the person holding the foal or the weanling is safe and the weanling's safe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes when I've parked, if I've parked my weanling or my foal for a fairly long period, and when I say a fairly long period, I'm talking about maybe four minutes, five mm-hmm. minutes or so, I'll probably discover that when I ask my horse or weanling to move off, it'll be quite delayed off my aid. I'm not too worried about that. 
because mm-hmm. I can send you another transition and practice that again and liven it up. It'll only take two repetitions to do that. Yep. But the great thing is that I've actually sent my horse to sleep by <laughs> mentally hobbling it. And there are only three there are only three techniques that I know of of being able to restrain a horse. And they are physical hobbling, chemical hobbling for injection, and the other one is going to, uh, is is good training, and that's exactly what I've done. Okay. Okay. All right. The next thing is identifying all the areas where your foal's anxious because we've talked about getting the foal so the horse is, is going well. But I suppose if you identify where they're more anxious, then you can reduce stuff to to look towards calmness and predictability. That's right. And those areas that are anxious, you will feel those messages um, fly straight up the lead rope into your hand. And that level of contact that we have with the lead rope um, is an essential benchmark. So I would like to be able to feel a little bit of a little bit of weight over and above my lead rope, but just a little bit so I can feel the I can feel the weight of the um, can I say the weight of the head collar on the lead rope in my hand. And then um, if I have trouble or we have trouble uh, leading our horse through the gateway when we lead it out into the paddock. Well, then ultimately that's probably where we need to go and practice these other things. So just being aware of those areas that provide the opportunity for the foal's perspective, mm-hmm. maybe an, an escape opportunity. So mm, we need to do a little bit more work in this area, but I don't feel as if the basic buttons that we've got in the stable block are good enough to do that with. Okay, so we just go back a step for a little while. Yes, yes, okay, yeah. So it's a little, a little bit forward, but identifying if the foal is getting anxious, going back, yep. retraining, and then... Going that's, forward again. That's right. Yep, yep. That's right. So the, the three states um, are pretty simple. Is that I, I would like my horse to be able to walk on my line exactly where I say. I would really like um, then my weaning to be able to walk at the speed that I select. So the tempo of the walk is maintained by itself in self-carriage. And really that's the third point is then is my line and is my tempo in the self-carriage state or not. And it's a bit like a flat tire. You can't have a half flat tire. It's either flat or it's not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. There's another one about that. You know, if you're half pregnant, you're not pregnant. Yes, exactly <laughs> right. That's, that's probably a more controversial one that I probably yeah. shouldn't use. But yes, you're right. Okay. Number ten. When you step back, you've got stepping backwards and forwards can be done with no resistance. You know, we talked about the resistance for. Then we can start the tying up training. Yes. So they've got to get that pretty pretty spot on, haven't they? With the step back and step forward. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I do this, and the reason I put that note in there is that once I can get my uh, my horse, it doesn't have to be a winning, it can be a brumby, it can be a five-year-old brumby, um, it doesn't really matter. But once I can get that transition to pressure from the nose band for the backward step and then the pole, uh, uh, the pole strap to the forward step, and I can get that transition really clearly, then if I thread my lead rope, a nice smooth lead rope for a nice smooth ring, then I can get my... Um, horse to be able to, or more willing to step back a step, and then after they've stepped back, then I can pull the lead up and say, now do you come forward when I'm actually not in front of you, but I'm actually now beside you, and do you come towards the ring or not? Mm-hmm. So now I'm removing my visual impression from the entire scenario and say, now can you do the whole thing when I'm not there, because I'm now beside you. Okay. And once yep. I can do that, oh, right, yeah, so you do understand the question, and that's how Pretty much in hand, I re-educate horses that pull back is that mm-hmm. they understand the question when I'm not in front of them, and most of them don't. Okay. In fact, 
90 percent of them don't okay okay so there's a reason they pull back it's probably because they weren't prepared for it is that right yes yeah exactly they associate having a wall and a ring and a lead wrap in front of them with running backwards being able to escape it mm-hmm. so you know a pair of gloves well prepared good area to work with and good training yeah all the um underlying benchmarks for that exercise is not always a a a, a um a very easy exercise on horses that have learned to pull back, as you can imagine. All right, Jonah, can we just summarise then? The first one we got was to establish the leading aids clearly, consistently with um, signals. And this is when you've still got the mare in sight. That's right, exactly, exactly. That's when everything is done with the mare still being able to see the foal fully. Okay, okay. The next one is you've got the training the in-hand aids until you go reverse one step and then without resistance, which I think is the key word there, come forward. So you're going reverse one step, come forward. Yes, exactly. And as we said, resistance manifests itself in weight and usually the first physical sign of weight of battle occurs, the horse's head and neck being raised and the legs not moving. That's yep. exactly right. All right. Number three was the continuing habituation with the grooming, the feet. You talked about the farrier then. And you did say that tip about holding the hoof and not the fetlock, as well as draping the horse with the towel. Yes. So you, anybody listening, have a little bit of a go at that. They've got a horse that's actually really difficult to pick its feet out because it keeps waggling its leg around. You'll find that if you actually hold its hoof and maybe nurse its cannon bone on your on your thigh, um, you'll find that it won't resist anymore. It will actually just hold it really still. It won't try and pull away. Okay. okay. So it's a completely conditioned response to being grappled, grappled around the fetlock by somebody's hand. It's conditioned reaction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, the next thing you've got, the practice leading the foal away from the mare further, you know, for short periods out of a yeah. vision. Exactly. And, and that's, you know, where we're going with this is ultimately, you know, creating the uh, fault from being a fault to being a weanling. Mm-hmm. And we just want to find out what sort of reaction we're going to be up for when that occurs. So you're saying for short periods, but just in your normal, typical training, if the foal's doing that okay, you're going to make it for longer and longer times, longer, further further distances. That is true, except the amount of measurement, unfortunately, is not just the foal, it's also going to be the yes. mare, but you're absolutely right. Yep. Exactly. Yep. All right, then we talked about going on to different obstacles, different surfaces, textures and sounds. Yep, and that's all preparation for all the future events are going to occur because ultimately when it's a wending, we're going to be leading this horse everywhere. Mm. And so we'd like to know what its experiences are by giving it a, a, a fairly broad range, the differences between gravel, bitumen, wet, dry and unusually textured surfaces and then inclines and declines as well. Yep. And I thought that was a good tip too about the wet towel. If you're looking for something with a bit of a different surface, you don't want to lead them over a dry towel, but a wet is a lot safer. Yeah, because it just sticks to the ground. So if they do scuff it over, it doesn't go anywhere. Mm, just stay mm, put. Mm. Yeah, yeah. All right. We talked about the quality of responses about the deterioration. You know, but you want the horse to understand the question. You don't want them to get dull. This is right. And see, once again, that's why we don't over-repeat things, because you over-repeat things, you get dullness, and then mm-hmm. the question needs to be asked, have we over-trained, have we attempted to over-train this until we get a deterioration in reaction, or does the horse starting to build up resistance because we haven't maintained the level of responsiveness sufficiently, and they're two big questions. They're two big questions to keep playing through in my head as a coach and as a rider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Make sure you don't overdo it. Yes, yeah. All right, this is where I put the 7A and B together. We've brought practicing walking, inclines, declines, being able to halt, go, practicing the transitions onto the float ramp and beyond. Yes. 
Exactly. So we still need to be able to maintain the quality of those um, responses. Um, but now we're going into a cave, which is called a horse float or a horse tray. And so now that's a that's probably one of the most aversive places we can get a horse, you know, racing barriers, horse floats, horse trucks are fairly, fairly unusual places to want to put a horse, but we do that and we need to do that. So we need to make sure that that degree of um, that degree of fear is not going to produce aids that are in a already deteriorating state before you get there. So that's mm-hmm. why I want to underline that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. And then number eight is once you've got the transitions light and responsive, you talked about parking and stopping for longer periods and just how it's a reflector of calmness through clear training. Yeah, that's right. And we see that in the riding horse, don't we? The horses actually can stop and park and you can just mm. um, stand there and talk and the horse doesn't move. In fact, it's actually really looking forward to um, being able to stop because um, you don't always do that. They, they almost relish it. So we're actually making it a really pleasant place to be because ultimately it's a really valuable thing to do. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Now, this is where we started to identify where the foal is the most anxious and reduce everything down to just single-step sequences, achieving calmness, predictability. Yeah, that's right. Really just going back over the same thing again, making sure that we don't have that any deterioration in that um, in that aversive state. And the, as I said in the previous point, the park is probably the greatest reflection you're going to get of that, and this is exactly the same. Okay, okay. And then the last one you talked about, how the horse needs to not resist before you can start tying up, you know, about the stepping backwards, stepping forward, no resistance. That's right. And just to underline that point, everything to do with tying up actually comes through um, the pole pressure of the halter. And so if that cue is in any way fallible, in any circumstance, in any circumstance, then through the horse being able to escape, pull back and escape, because that's where the process of the horse is being able to remove themselves from the area, and that's where the where the learning takes place, uh, the undesirable reaction of being able to pull back and run away, and that's what we don't want to happen. So I really try to make sure that when the weaning does get to the point where you're able to thread the letter up through a nice big eye and it slides quite nicely through that eye back to your hand on a fairly long lead rope, that you can be walking backwards towards the foal's rump on, say, the near side, and yet the foal is actually walking towards a tight point in single steps. So you can say, yep, good boy, good girl, you walk a step and then apply the pressure, and then will they walk towards that tight point again without you being anywhere near them? Yes, yes, okay, okay. And that's why I don't use string as well, because it doesn't slide very well. You need something that slides nicely. Okay, okay. I think, um, again, you've brought in these safe horse-friendly ways to interact with the young horses, which is, you know, you've sort of been doing that all all the way through, taking it from the firstborn foal and then taking them to the further steps and now to the weaning transition. We're looking forward then to the next one. So hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Now, Jonna, just before we go, your your contact details, we'll put them on the website, which will be horsechats.com slash Jonna McLean. I think we're up to three now, aren't we? Or four, four it'd be. Yes, I've, I've, I'm starting to lose track a little bit. I've made before. That's okay. Well, they all link to each other anyway. So your contact yep. details are on all their pages. But if you'd like to say right. them again before you go, that'd be great. 
Marvellous. My contact email is uh, uh, johnnymcfan at gmail.com and they're uh, going to change in the next episode because my website will probably be online. Really? So yep. um, the the website is going to be uh, trained to win equitation, which is, um, I'll give you the website details next time we talk. But in yep. the meantime, johnnymcfan at gmail.com will get hold of me in some shape or form. Thanks again, Johnna, and hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. My pleasure. Thank you, Glenn. Cheers. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 